Before I start this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual note of thanks to the photographer who created the image, which is part of the cover art. That's Sora Shimazaki at Pexels. Let's get on with it. Hello and welcome to This Week in Financial Crime. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. The world of financial crime gets a bit busier this week as 2023 starts to warm up. A range, a good range of fraud stories with a lot from the UK National Cyber Security Centre, including some interesting free events to attend. The UK Financial Conduct Authority has also been a bit busy too. So let's just crack on with it. As usual, all the links to the stories, the key stories in the podcast are in the podcast description. Let's crack on and we'll start with sanctions. Sanctions new this week and the friends of Russia continue to be in the sights of sanctions policymakers in the European Union with news this week that the EU plans new sanctions against Belarus for its continued support for the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This follows significant action taken globally against other supporters of Russia, notably Iran, which has been sanctioned for its supply of drones which have been used to attack civilians and civilian infrastructure in Ukraine. In further news related to the EU and its approach to sanctions, the Ukrainian government this week announced that it expected the Russian state nuclear energy company Rosatom to be included in the next round of sanctions from the bloc. The move comes as a result of the occupation of Zaporizhia, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in southeastern Ukraine, and the transfer of control of the plant from the Ukrainian nuclear energy company Energoatom to a subsidiary of Rosatom. An interesting story from the UK. This broke quite late in the week. From uh, It relates to golden visas, the golden visa scheme, which was established to lure the mega-rich to the United Kingdom on the basis that when the mega-rich go anywhere, they invest a lot of money in the countries where they are. Well, it will come as no surprise that that golden visa scheme was used by several wealthy Russians, ten of whom have subsequently been sanctioned by the United Kingdom following the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The UK trashed the golden visa scheme in early 2022 because of concerns over corruption and links to Russia following what was then the build-up to its invasion of Ukraine, which happened, of course, on the 24th of February 2022. We'll stick with sanctions, but not a sanctions story, but I think we can regard it as contextually significant. And that is a bill has been introduced to the Duma, which is the lower house of Russia's parliament, to withdraw Russia from the Criminal Law Convention on corruption. The link to the convention is in the podcast description. Now to fraud, where it's been a belter of a week. So we'll start with a couple of beautifully dovetailed stories about cyber attacks. First, news from the US where data from Checkpoint software reveals that global cyber attacks increased by 38% in 2022, with the UK experiencing a rise of 77 which is a staggering stat. While this can come as no surprise given the impact of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the believed active Russian efforts to attack Western targets with cyber, the report notes that it is individuals and criminal gangs behind the significant uptick. 
Now, as I said, this dovetails with the second story this week, with many news wires finally picking up the story that we covered in episode 39 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, namely the suggestion from the CEO of global insurer Zurich that cyber may become uninsurable. I expect this to be the prevalent narrative as 2023 progresses. I expect more of this. It's simply not going away. Cyber attacks will certainly continue to trouble and the extent of the losses may mean that ultimately it does, I suppose, become an uninsurable risk. Indeed, news broke earlier this week, and this story continues to rumble, that the Royal Mail, which is the mail delivery service in the United Kingdom, both for national and international, where it has link-ups with other mail delivery services across the globe, has been the subject what uh, what was initially described as a cyber incident. But further investigation indicates that it was a ransomware attack, widely reported to be Russian in origin. In fact, several news wires have reported that it's believed to be Russian in origin. I suppose linked to this is news coming from Ukraine that the widely held belief is that cyber attacks emanating from Russia should be regarded as war crimes, which I think is quite an interesting story. And this has been said a few times, but certainly Ukraine has pumped out more on this this week. And that's certainly something which I think could easily be made against Ukraine, those cyber attacks from Russia which target Ukraine. Of more interest here is the issue of whether it could be regarded as a war crime if it is state-sponsored because of the reaction to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, where it is targeted against countries which are not specifically involved in the combat. It's an interesting point anyway, and one which I suspect, again, will become a recurring theme of 2023. Now, the following would seem to be apt timing, and it is that the National Cyber Security Centre in the United Kingdom is hosting a series of events reflecting the threats posed by cyber. The first is the Digital Loft event, updating the cyber essentials technical requirements for 2023. There are two events linked to this. The first is on the 24th of January 2023, and it's from 10.30am Greenwich Mean Time to midday. Uh, and to share a first look at any changes and new guidance and to answer key cyber essentials questions. And there is a further session on the 14th of March 2023, which will be a deep dive on the technical changes. Another event has also been announced, which is particularly interesting given what has happened to the Royal Mail this week, and that is another digital loft event hosted by the National Cyber Security Centre, Incident Management and the Cyber Threat from Russia. Now that, I think it's a bit far in the distance, really. I think it should be brought forward. But anyway, it's the 31st of January 2023. That's a Tuesday. It runs from 10am to 11.30am GMT, Greenwich Mean Time. Links to all of those events and the registration links for all of those events appear in the podcast description. And I certainly might go to the one in January, late January, on incident management and the cyber threat from Russia. That seems particularly pertinent and one which I think anybody who works in cyber should certainly be attending. Now, before I move on, there's just one more thing from the National Cyber Security Centre. It's published its threat report, which is drawn from open source reporting, much like this podcast, really, up to the period of the 13th of January 2023. 
The report discusses the increased use of Excel, that's the Microsoft Excel add-ins, as an infection vector. Uh, the UK is to prescribe, uh, prescribe the Islamic Revolution Guard Corps as a terrorist organization. There is uh, an increase in cyber attacks in 2022 down to smaller agile hacker and ransomware gangs, which is again something I've already covered today of something I've mentioned, and the use of managed service providers to administer cloud services. So it's quite an interesting one, the cyber threat report this uh, this uh, time round. The link to it is in the podcast description. Sticking with losses from fraud, some further research published this week from Alloy, the identity decisioning platform, has noted that of corporations asked to respond to a survey which it conducted, 27% of respondents lost over $1 million to fraud in the last year, while an eye-watering 70% of respondents lost over half a million dollars to fraud. It should come as no surprise that those in the financial services, given the high, frequently high volumes and high values involved, lost larger amounts, with 37% of fintechs and 31% of regional banks estimated to have lost between $1 and $10 million to fraud. This is, I'm afraid, depressingly repetitive, and I don't see an imminent end to the issue. Now... On fraud, we're back to the fallout from the collapse of crypto exchange FTX, whose former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried has been charged with various offences relating to its collapse. Well, this time the focus is the victims who can email the victim-slash-witness coordinator Wendy Olson-Clancy regarding losses which they may have suffered. With more than a million affected users, this could be one busy inbox. One more bit on FTX, which again broke late in the week, and there were reports that £5 billion has been located in cash, liquid cryptocurrency, and liquid investment securities. But it is said in all the reports that have noted this that the true scale of losses for those alleged to have been defrauded is not yet fully known, if indeed it ever will. Now, for those looking for a decent bit of New Year reading, check out Spotlight on Corruption's blog post. There are a couple of them which I thought it worth flagging first. On the priorities for the Serious Fraud Office for 2023, quite a critical piece. And secondly, a post which is critical of a first-tier tribunal decision in the UK earlier this month, month, which determined that the names of companies in receipt of coronavirus, that is COVID-19, loans, shouldn't be published. The link to both of those is in the podcast description and frankly they'll take you no time to read. Finally, while we're on the subject of loans linked to COVID-19, more news relating to banning orders on company directors who abuse the bounce back loan scheme. The bounce back loan scheme, we've mentioned it a number of times, it was of course the United Kingdom's government scheme to help businesses get through the coronavirus lockdowns. This time it's a Coventry artist, Darren Baker, who made claims totalling £50,000 for his charity when it had no entitlement to the funds. Charities could, of course, apply funds just like other businesses could, but this charity had no right to claim the funds in this circumstance. 
The link to the press release with a bit more on the story is in the podcast description. Now, a little bit on market abuse. There's another bit on market abuse, which I'll come to in a moment, but I just want to flag this one on market abuse. Um, news, the brother of a former product manager at Coinbase. Coinbase has been in the news again this week. It was in the news again last week for some regulatory issues that it was having in the US. Well, the brother of the former product manager at Coinbase has been sentenced to 10 months imprisonment in the US for insider dealing, specifically the use of information provided which allowed the sale of crypto for a profit. Nikhil Wahi from Seattle was supplied with the information by his brother Ishan. Nikhil was also ordered to pay $892,500. Now, money laundering. Good range of money, money laundering stories this week and some quite entertaining stuff too. We'll start with the United Kingdom's Financial Conduct Regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, which has fined the UK subsidiary of Nigeria's Garante Trust Bank £7.6 million for what the regulator described as serious weaknesses in its anti-money laundering systems and controls. The press release provides, during the relevant period, GT Bank, that's Garante Trust Bank, failed to undertake adequate customer risk assessments, often not assessing or documenting the money laundering risks posed by its customers. The bank also failed to monitor customer transactions and business relationships to the required standard. However, there is a particular beauty on page 23 of the final notice relating to this, and it reads as follows. In one instance, the customer risk assessment stated that the customer had studied at the University of Life, Nigeria, which is not a recognized formal institute of higher education. Beautiful understatement there. Links to the press release and the final notice are in the podcast description. Now, in addition to the fines for Garante, the Financial Conduct Authority has also issued a fine against Al Ryan Bank PLC, just over £4 million on this occasion for failing to implement adequate anti-money laundering controls. The press release provides, between the 1st of April 2015 and the 30th of November 2017, Al Ryan allowed money to pass through the bank and be used within the UK without carrying out appropriate checks. The firm failed adequately to check its customers' source of wealth and source of funds when it was required to make sure the money was not connected to financial crime. The failings were made worse by the lack of proper training provided to staff about how to handle large deposits, which further heightened the risk of money laundering and financial crime. The links to the press release and again the final notice are in the podcast description. Sticking with the Financial Conduct Authority, the regulator has published an updated version of the Office for Professional Body Anti-Money Laundering, the OPBAS, sourcebook. The link is in the podcast description. More updates, only this time internationally, with news that the Financial Action Task Force has updated its consolidated assessment ratings. And again, the link to that is in the podcast description. And finally, since I've been wittering on about the Financial Conduct Authority for a while, a couple of minor things before I move on. First, the Financial Conduct Authority has published details of its 2023 fines to date. Obviously, it's only early January. We're 15 days in, but the uh, Garante and Al Rayan fines 
which have been talked about in this podcast, leaves the pot sitting at £11.5 million, or just over £11.5 million. And one more, the Financial Conduct Authority has published one of its letters, it loves its letters, this time to wholesale brokers and their supervision. This is, I suppose, allied to market abuse. And I did toy with the idea of putting it with the other market abuse stories, but it just seemed sensible to put all the Financial Conduct Authority's stories together, so I just left it where it was. Anyway, so, of relevance to financial crime in the letter is the following. We expect firms to comply with all relevant FCA rules to consider relevant guidance and to have adequately resourced risk management and control functions with influence at board level. To achieve effective compliance, firms should stay abreast of the risks posed by their business models, design clear policies and processes around those risks, and promote a culture where adherence to their rules is actively encouraged. Financial crime and market abuse mitigation are areas where we commonly find brokers have weak systems and controls, and firms should continue to develop safeguards to mitigate these risks. Our recent work highlighted widespread deficiencies in wholesale brokers' client onboarding processes to control financial crime and money laundering, and we look to carry out further work in this field in the year ahead. Additionally, where we see weak surveillance controls in the sector, it raises the risk of market abuse. For further guidance, firms should consider Market Watch 62, where we share our concerns about personal account dealing, and Market Watch 69, where we discuss firms' arrangements for market abuse surveillance, drawing on our observations from engaging with small and medium-sized firms. Links to the fines page and the letter which has been sent out to the brokerage firms, together with Market Watch 62 and Market Watch 69, well, they're all in the podcast description. Now, do you work in fine art? Always a decent way to launder the proceeds of crime, the industry has updated its approach to the issue with a joint action to produce videos to train those in the sector on anti-money laundering legislation. The British Antique Dealers Association, the Society of London Art Dealers and the Association of Art and Antiques Dealers have made the move in response to the UK Treasury's updated guidance on anti-money laundering obligations. And finally this week, to the Register of Overseas Entities. Uh, Company House has published a copy of a letter sent to those overseas entities which may own the freehold or leasehold of title to land in the UK, but who have not yet registered their status. The letter reminds recipients that this must be completed by 31st of January 2023. It's also published guidance on overseas entities and the disposal of UK property. The links both to the letter and the disposal guidance are in the podcast description. That's it for this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being well, next Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a genuinely great week, everyone.